Good morning, saints. Praise the Lord. You don't know how privileged we are to be able to gather in his name. This really is a privilege, and I hope we never take it for granted that we could meet in public worshiping our God. We really are blessed. I'm so thankful this morning for the gathering of the saints. I'm going to read a portion of scripture here out of Matthew 25. We're going to continue looking at the whole idea of what it means to be the bride of Christ. And I'd like to call today a bride prepared. A bride prepared. Jesus spoke a few parables after he spoke about um, the destruction of Jerusalem, the coming of the Lord, and all that would happen at the end of days. And he concludes it with a few parables. So this is one of the parables he shared here in chapter 25. And he said this, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and says, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And Lord, I just pray this morning you would speak to all of us. We're all, in a sense, somewhere spiritually in this parable. Whether one or the other, whether in between, Lord, only you know where the hearts of people are. Only you know who are truly yours and who aren't. And Lord, you are speaking. Your voice is going out into the earth, Lord. That same voice that was here, that John heard when he said, I rejoice because I hear the voice of the bridegroom. That same voice is speaking today. You're still calling. You're still wooing. You're still speaking to your bride. You're still speaking to those that have not yet entered into this glorious, glorious relationship, this salvation that was made possible by what you did on the cross. So Lord, I pray you would help us to hear what you're saying to us today, Lord. As we prayed early, Lord, open up eyes, open up the understanding, soften hearts, Lord. Speak to all of us, Lord, what we need to hear individually. Speak to your church as a whole, Lord, during this hour. Have your way in all of us this morning. All those that are listening, accomplish your will. Let your word bring forth what you desire it to bring forth this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want us to understand something that's important for us to understand. When Jesus spoke a lot of these parables, the people that were listening, I think, had a better understanding 
of what he was actually saying because they understood a lot of what he was saying because it related to their own customs of the day. So to the Jewish mind, when Jesus is describing what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's picturing these virgins that have lamps, some have oil, some don't, and that they're in this waiting time, waiting for the day when their bridegroom comes for the wedding. Well, they understood this, this meant a lot to them. And so I want to just share a little bit what a Jewish wedding would be like during that time, okay? So we've talked about this already. The first step would be the actual betrothal, right? The Apostle Paul, when he's talking about those that he has led to Christ, he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twelve, I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So this first step was the betrothal where uh, the bridegroom would come, he would pay a purchase price, the marriage covenant would be established, there would be an agreement, and the young man and woman were at that time regarded as husband and wife, even though the wedding ceremony hadn't taken place yet. That's how, I should say, held in esteem this covenant was. It was as if they were already married. And we need to understand, if we have been betrothed to Christ, we are, in a sense, already married to him, although we still haven't entered into the marriage feast of the Lamb that is awaiting for us, the fullness of our salvation. So from that moment on, that bride was consecrated. She was declared sanctified, set apart exclusively for this one man. It's the same for us when we're betrothed to Christ. We are set apart. That's what a saint is, a set apart one. And so I thought about this, you know, I've been set apart for Christ and I thought about you know, our earthly marriages. What would it be like if I asked Rose to marry me and, and we had planned the wedding? Typically, they would wait about a year. This would be about a year-long process. And, and I'll get into more of that. But there's this waiting time. Well, what would happen if during our time where we're waiting for the actual marriage to occur, I'm still living like I used to. I'm still doing all the things I used to do. I'm still going after other girlfriends, other acquaintances. What would that be like for her? Now, I actually did that. Sad to say. I didn't honor my wife when we pledged to be married to one another. And what a slight that was to her. And, and really, when you think about it, it just shows where my heart was at. I was still a very selfish man, and I didn't consider what I was about to enter into a high thing to be esteemed and honored and precious. And how many of us think that way about our patrol to Christ. I mean, do we still give our hearts to other things? Are we still running after other things when we've been set apart, consecrated to him? He expects that of us. I, I would expect that of my bride, right? I, I would, she would expect that of me. But yet, we know many times this doesn't happen. As his betrothed, we are supposed to renounce everything. That's what it means to pick up our cross. That's what it means to lose our lives for him. We're to forsake all things. We're not to love or live for the things of this world anymore. We're supposed to be faithful, right? We're supposed to be willing to suffer for him, deny ourselves. Always preparing, always preparing, waiting for the day we'll be united together. And so that's what I want to look at today. 
a bride prepared. Are, what are we doing in this in-between time? Because in that Jewish wedding, like I said, after that covenant was established, the groom left his bride. He went home. He went back to his father's house. You see the correlation here, right? I don't have to explain it. Just as Jesus went back to the Father. And this afforded the bride time to prepare for married life. And we, we, we are in preparation for an eternity with God. So during this period of separation, the groom prepared a dwelling place in his father's house to which he would later bring his bride. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. What's that place going to be like? He's been working at it for like 2,000 years. <laughs> right? Praise the Lord. So then at the end of that period of separation, the groom would come, usually at night, to take his bride to live with him at the father's command. In other words, the son never knew exactly when his father would say, okay, go get her. Go get your bride. Tonight's tonight. Jesus said only the father knows that hour. Only the father knows. So although this bride was expecting her groom to come, she didn't know what time the arrival was. And anyone that tells you they know, you need to run to the hills. Okay? Because no one knows that day or hour. Nobody. Okay? And I'm not saying when he is coming. So as a result, this groom's arrival was preceded, preceded by a shout. Like a, a, a wedding party would go out, his, his bridesmen or whatever you call them, uh, would go out with him with torches and they would blow trumpets. Letting everyone know this is the night. He's coming for his bride. Rose's mom <laughs> shared something that happened to her not too long ago. I think she had a vision. She was in her kitchen and all of a sudden the whole kitchen lit up. She said it was so bright she couldn't even see. But she said, but I didn't hear a trumpet. So I thought, okay, I didn't miss anything. <laughs> so, in other words, she always had to be ready. Always. Are we ready? Are we preparing for him? Let's read that again, Matthew 25. So the kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who took their lamps who went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the, the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So they all had lamps, which is a picture of they all had Something that could give light. They all had a measure of light. But it says about the wise, they also had their vessel full of oil. Which is indicative of the Holy Spirit. They had something inward that the others didn't have. And that lamp, like I said, seems to me to represent the outward Christian life. We could all look the same, but inside there could be a totally different story. And that's what this is really talking about. The inner life, the religion of the foolish didn't go down into the lowest depths of their nature. Something hadn't occurred or was lost. And now there was an emptiness, there was something missing. There was a lack of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Only five took oil. This is important because this is where the distinction is made. And I just want to share a little bit about the importance of this oil. Why, again, why the Jewish mind would understand this. In Exodus 
chapter 27, the children of Israel had a command about the candlesticks in the uh, tabernacle. And, and it was, I'm sorry, the lamp that would burn continually there in the, in the tabernacle. And it says in verse 20, You shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. It was something that had to be done all the time. And it's interesting that it says it has to be pure and it's pressed from olives. And it makes me think about Jesus in Gethsemane, in the olive grove, being crushed, pressed, till he sweat drops of blood, and he was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised. And that's the picture here. This oil was manufactured in that way, crushing and bruising and, and pressing. And because of Christ being crushed, for us, that precious oil, the Holy Spirit, is available. But we have to tend to it. We have to acquire it on a daily basis. Because it goes on in verse 21, In the tabernacle of meeting, outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend to it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So this was very important to God. Ephesians 5, verse 15, tells us, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as a fool, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I don't have to help you guys understand, right, that we are living in days that are evil. And I believe a lot of what Jesus talked about in those chapters is happening right now before our eyes. We are on the highway towards the Ezekiel War. And right now what's happening in Israel, we have to understand, it's just all part of, I don't think it's the war, but it's all rushing forward to what Jesus was talking about. You understand that, that right now what Israel's doing is really minimal. That they are actually, once they go in, which they're going to do, if they're not in there already, that's when this war is really going to start. And that's why the United States is sending two, or already has two aircraft carriers. They're sending missile defenses because the United States understands that when that happens, every other nation is going to retaliate around. And they're going to not just attack Israel, they're going to attack U.S. troops. And Iran will be pulled in, and if Iran's pulled in, Russia could be pulled in. So you understand where this could be going. Rumors of wars. And we need to understand the days we're living in and that really we are just rushing towards the days Jesus was talking about. So let's not be foolish and not understand the times we are living. Let's be preparing. Let's hear what God is saying to us during this hour. This message is so important for all of us. And God keeps repeating it in so many different ways, keeps encouraging us to, to press in, right? To seek him like never before. There's a reason for that. He understands what's coming. He understands what we're going to need. So, it says, while the bridegroom delayed, that they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom, he is coming. Go out to meet him. And they all got up, and they all trimmed their lamps. But the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise said, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. 
So what we see from these verses is it comes at an unexpected time. It's, it's not like they know when it's going to happen, and it comes at the worst time, in the middle of the night. And they needed their lamps burning brightly for that. To me, it's a picture of a very dark time that we will be in. A time, something we are going to have to go through, something we are going to have to endure. It speaks to me of an end times church that is going to face things that maybe no other church has faced. And Jesus is trying to prepare his bride. He's trying to help his bride so she'll endure, so she'll accomplish what he's called her to do in this hour. So her light won't fade but it'll burn brightly. And what will happen when this happens? There will be a separation. And that, that's coming. Because the wedding day will separate the true from the false. Jesus said, let the wheat and tares grow up together. There will always be a mixture in the church. Always. Until that time, because there's a time between the call and his actual arrival that tests and separates the two. There's a time, uh, there was a common likeness, a resemblance between the wise and the foolish that continued for a considerable time. And it's not revealed until the hour of trial. You see, the foolish are kind of like the seed that falls on rocky soil. There's something there. There's, there's some kind of light, enlightenment there. They, they spring up for a time. There's some kind of life there. I, I don't know how to fully explain that. Something happened for them. But they never went deeper. Their roots didn't go down. And when it got hard, when the heat of the day came up, trials, tribulations, they withered up and died. There's so many warnings in scriptures. There's so many illustrations in scriptures that shows the difference between the two. One endures, one doesn't. We need to make sure we're the one that is going to endure. And that's really God's heart for you today. It's really to help us to know how to endure and to make sure I am one of those that will endure. Why? Because God loves you. Because God doesn't desire that any would perish. So he keeps calling. He keeps shaking. He keeps wooing. Anything he can do to get our attention, to wake people up. That's his heart. And what I see also is it becomes a personal thing. When the midnight hour comes, you need your own vessel full. You can't borrow what someone else has. So that's important. It's a personal thing. So then in verse 10, it says, While they went to buy these foolish virgins, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. And afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying... Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Frightening words. We see that in Matthew 7 as well. Verse 21. I, I don't know you. I don't know you. You who practice lawlessness. It's too late. When you hear those words, it's too late. I don't know you. Your eternal fate is sealed at that moment. I don't know you. The doors are shut. You're left outside of the wedding. See, we can fool everybody. We can even fool ourselves. But only one knows those who are really his. There's an interesting story in Matthew 22, which shows we can't fool God. We can fool everyone else, even ourselves, but we can't fool God. 
And it's another picture of a wedding. And many were invited. But the king comes in to see the guests at the wedding. And he saw a man who didn't have on a wedding garment. And, and I always thought about that. It's like no one else noticed that. The king immediately when he came in saw a man that was not dressed properly. And he said, friend, how, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And it says he was speechless. See, there's no words anyone could say on the day of judgment. There's nothing we can say. It's too late. And somehow this man knows it. And then it says, the king said to his servants, find him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I want to say something to you all. I believe in this church, many are true brides of Christ, okay? So I want to say that on the get-go. I just, I want to make sure you understand that. And, And God is trying to help you to understand, first and foremost, your position and what you need to be doing so that you're ready, so that you're awake. But more than that, he wants you to know the things that he wants you to know because there is a great deception that has come over the land. Another thing Jesus talked about in those days, in the last days, that there would be great deception. There would be a great falling away. So many would be deceived into a false gospel. And I'm telling you, that's where we're living. And so God wants you to know this so that that you understand, not so that you're critical of others, not so that you can go around and, and in your mind decide who you think is saved or not. No, it's just so that you will understand what it means to be his bride and that you will help others understand what that really means so they're not left outside. Because it really does affect how we share the gospel with people. We have to make sure we understand so they understand what it means to be betrothed to Christ. This is so important for your family, for your children, for your neighbors, for people at work that you share the gospel with. You have to understand what it means for yourself so that you can help them understand it's not just getting them somehow to pray a prayer with you. It has to go much deeper than that. Watch therefore in verse 13. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Again, I believe this could be a picture of the end times church where there are those that really love God. And they're seeking daily to love him more, to know him more, like we heard last week. They're pressing in. That there's something in them that drives them to know him. They're willing to sacrifice comforts. They're willing to deny themselves. They're hungry for him. Their hearts yearn for him. They, they make time for him. But then there's others that are content without him. They're content to, you know, just go to church and do the Christian things, but they're pretty content in their life without this intimate relationship. They don't have a prayer life. They don't spend time at his feet. They don't have a real burden for souls. They live for the now. They're always looking for the next thing. They're not caught up with the kingdom of God and and the things that that have to do with eternity. They live their lives pretty much like everyone else with a Christian veneer. But at some point, they'll be separated out. There'll be a separation. This will play itself out like we see in this parable. Those who are his truly endure. The Bible talks about that over and over and over again. He endures to the end. 
Paul said, you have need of endurance. And I believe the, the bride of Christ is starting to wake up. I believe it. I see it in this church. It's such a blessing. It's such a blessing to see you all waking up, to see God calling others. I think we still need more waking up. I don't want to sit back and say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm good. No, I, I got light years to go. But I believe as the church is starting to wake up and as prophecy is being fulfilled more and more, we're going to recognize the times we're living in and how people can see the news and see what's going on in the world and not recognize the times we are in is beyond me. Either they're not looking or either they're not spending enough time in the Word of God to where when they see things, they know God has spoken about what they're seeing. And I'll get into that in a little bit. So the Bible's clear. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit here because it's important. In the end, there is going to be a great falling away from God. It's already started. We've already seen it with many prominent leaders, and it's accelerating. And, and at, at some point, it's just going to be this great... It's not going to be one here, one there. One, it's just a great falling away is going to occur. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1 says, Now, brethren... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled or either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though that day of Christ had already come. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And I'm not going to get all into that, except to say that that hasn't happened yet. Okay? So I want to look at this whole idea of falling away, because... A bride that is prepared, a bride that is preparing herself, she's in her first love all the time, okay? She doesn't lose sight of that. You hear about married couples, right? They get married, and then, you know, 10 years later, it's different. It's not like it was. They can't wait to see them at the end of the day. They're not thinking about them all day. You know, they don't. They're maybe not as romantic. They maybe don't do all the things they did when they were trying to court them, right? And sometimes we hear that they fell out of love or whatever. That's not <laughs> what it should be like in natural marriage, but especially when we're joined to Christ, when we are anticipating that way. There should be a growing sense as we sense we're getting closer, whether you're getting older and you know you're getting nearer, or whether you're seeing the signs of the times, and you know you're getting nearer, there should be a groaning, just a, a greater desire to be with him, just longing for that day, to, to be about his business, to, to have your mind set on the things that his mind is set on. That should be there. If it's not, you've probably lost your first love. And losing your first love is very dangerous. You do not want to go too far down that path. And I'm going to share something with you that a commentator wrote on the first love. And it was powerful. I shared it with the men one night, but I'm just going to share it with you. It's basically steps to this falling away. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. 
So we see a warning to, of this to the church at Ephesus. Once praised for their love, now warned in the book of Revelation that they've lost their first love. And they're told, repent before I take your, your light away, your candlestick. In other words, you're not a church anymore. That actually happened. So the first step really is leaving the first love. And what happens is the man steps on this downward, slippery road when he simply starts neglecting time at the feet of Jesus. Just not spending time with him, not seeking him in the morning, not cultivating that relationship with him. That new life needs care. It needs food continually. Otherwise, the roots aren't going to go down. This neglect of soul culture is grieving of the Holy Spirit, which Paul warns us so earnestly, a man goes wrong first in matters of private devotion and Christian habit. And Andrew Murray talks about that in his book. He says, uh, besides, you know, our salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's no more important thing than the morning watch with God. And I cannot emphasize that enough with you. If you are not spending time with God, something is very wrong in your relationship with God. If you never spend time with him, I question your salvation. Yes, I said it. Something's terribly wrong. If there's absolutely no desire in you to spend time at the feet of Jesus, to get in his word and read it, to know him, something is wrong, something has not happened, or you've lost it totally. You need to understand that. It's so important. We see it all the time in the counseling center. There's no relationship. But I'm... I'm his bride. I'm his bride. I've been betrothed to him. I'm a Christian. But I never spend time with him. I don't even know what most of this even says. So I hardly ever read it. Second step. Self becomes in place of God's will. In other words, we, use, we lose the humility, the fear that comes through close relations with God. We lose it. The rule of life becomes the devices and the desires of our own hearts. It's all about what I want, not what he wants. And so some of these quotes come into play. When the Bible contradicts your life or your opinion, who wins the argument? When you don't obey God, are you saying you know better than God? Again, we see this over and over and over again in the counseling. You know, we do biblical counseling, and I can't tell you how many times you just give Scripture at face value. It's the authoritative Word of God, and people will argue with you till they're blue in the faith, face. But you don't understand. My situation's different. God understands. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on to the excuses why they don't have to do what God says. And again, that makes me question, have they truly been to the cross? Because if they have, he should be Lord of their life. They should want to do everything he says to do. I understand if you don't know it and then you come to know it, kind of like before we got married and we were living together. And my pastor found out, and he, he brought us in his office, and he said, you guys are living together. That's sin. That's wrong. I said, it is? I didn't know that. And I moved out that day. I want to obey God. I don't want to sin against him. That should be there. But that's not what happens when we're not in our first love. When God says something, the argument should be over. Third step, the wish to see and know nothing that can possibly convict and humble. And the man lets the dust cover his Bible, the grass grow over 
his kneeling place, and excuses keep him from the house of God. Like the priests and leaders, they are afraid at what God might say through the Isaiahs of their day. I remember that when I was in sin. I didn't like churches that convicted me. I used to tell, oh, we don't want to go here. I didn't want to hear it. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. It's very dangerous. Men don't want to be warned. They don't want to hear about judgment. They don't want to hear about what I'm talking about today. They don't want to hear about the foolish virgins. They don't want to hear that Jesus could say, I don't know you. They don't want to hear it. The fourth step comes the beginning of almost hopeless stages. A blinding, a hardening process goes on. Those who would see now cannot see. A man can hear all the terrors and heed none of them, can listen to all the persuasions of everlasting love and not be moved at all. And then last, they can even mock at the goodness of God and the goodness of men. And in his foolish, wicked pride can scoff at God's word and God's prophet. Down low, indeed, that man must have fallen who once knew the glory of the Lord and waited for the Lord's will and now in his rioting can jeer at sacred things. It's frightening. So it behooves us to beware lest we leave our first love and be led away with the error of the wicked. Lest we fall from our own former steadfastness. And the Bible talks about that. So if you and I want to be a bride that is prepared, we have to, number one, number one, we have to be cultivating our prayer life and a devotion life with God. You should write these down. If you and I want to be a bride that is prepared, we have to be cultivating a vibrant prayer life. And dependence on God. Really, to pray is to show you're dependent on him. What you're saying is, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I can't do life without you. And every day you're at his feet because his words are life to you. His presence is your joy and satisfaction. So that's number one because, remember, that's the first step. If you don't have that, nothing else is going to flow except from this place of intimacy. So cultivate a vibrant prayer life and dependence on God. Number two, engage regularly in the reading and studying of God's Word. You and I need to know this book inside and out. One thing that caught my attention of the man I shared about the other day, a Hezbollah guy that was, I mean totally in that whole mindset, uh, totally devoted. And, and he said uh, when the, he was in an Israeli prison for years, but he said in that prison, he made it his goal to read the Quran. I think he read it like every week or week and a half. He would read through the whole Quran every week, week and a half. And I thought, how many here have read through their whole Bible? How many here have read through your whole Bible? Okay. Not too many hands went up. Why? Why is it a Muslim can read the Koran a week and a half over and over and over again? Why is it? Why is it a Muslim can pray three to five times a day on his face before God, a false God. You know what's interesting? The more this guy got in the Koran, you know what happened? He started to, to see, and it was the Lord working on this guy, I believe, that something's not right here. Something's not right. He began to see the falseness of it. And that's when he began to pray 
And, and it was not soon after that that Jesus came into his cell and revealed himself to him. And, and he revealed his love. And that's what he saw was missing in the Quran. This God I'm reading about, he's not a loving God. He's not a relational God. He's a tyrant. This cannot be the God I want to love and worship. This can't be right. And, and he was praying, God, I got to know, I got to know. And Jesus revealed himself to him. I'll bet you that guy reads his Bible. Right? So listen. Start getting in the Word because if you don't, you'll be deceived. You won't know what Jesus had to say. I'm going to tell you. As I was studying for this message the last few days and immersed myself in all end time stuff and, and all about the bride of Christ, I was shaken to my core. I began to examine myself. I began to put myself in the shoes of the foolish bride. I began to say, God, don't let me be that fool. I began to examine my life. I began to look at my priorities. Because the more I read, the more I understood this is reality. This is what's happening right now. We're close. I got to get more serious than ever. I got to tell our people to wake up. I got to help our people understand the days we're living in. And maybe I could get you a little wide eyed today. I don't know. It has to be the Lord. But if you don't go home and get in the Word and seek Him and begin to, to eat this Bible, you're going to fall asleep again. So you have to regularly. It says in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written. And for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. This word is a lamp unto our feet. We are in a dark world. We need to be in this word every day. Number three, we need to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Our board of directors gave a wonderful devotion on Hebrews 10, 24, where it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Participating in corporate worship and fellowship with believers is vital. They will, in other places where they can't do what we're doing today, will risk their lives to do it. They'll meet in a cave so they can gather with God's people. But we'll get up, it's cold, it's rainy, and ah, I don't want to go to church today. Or, you know, we had maybe a little bit of a rough night or something, and ah, I'm staying home today. Or, yeah, I'm just going to watch online today. And I think more and more and more, if you, if you look at the different generations. I, I looked at something, or maybe Glenn shared it the other day. I heard it somewhere. Each generation is less and less in church in America. Either we're too busy or we just don't see the need for it. You know, have a prayer meeting, you know, on a Friday night. There's other things to do on a Friday night, I guess. You know, as a pastor, do I feel guilty when I, I schedule meetings, wondering, oh, is it too much? You know, and so I try to walk this fine line of, okay, I don't want to burden people, I don't want to lay guilt trips, but why don't we want to come together? What's more important than a prayer meeting? Unless there's an emergency or, or we're sick or something comes up that's genuine, what, what could be more important? I mean, I used to party on Friday nights. It's amazing to me that the, the time we will make for the things we want to do. Now, I'm not getting on anyone that wasn't here Friday, so don't take it that way, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. 
The hour is getting close. We need to not forsake the assembling of ourselves. We need to be encouraging one another, exhorting, stirring one another up. You need the body of Christ. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so important. Okay, and then number four, we need to be serving in love and humility. We need to be following Christ's example. You know, as I was reading in the Song of Solomon, and it's wonderful to be in that inner chamber, right? It's wonderful. I love being there. But at some point, he's calling her out. He's looking. He say, hey, I'm out here. And so at some point, he doesn't want us to be monks, just, okay, I just want to be here in my little chamber with him all the time. He wants us to go out with him. He wants us to be serving in the body. He wants us to be loving one another. He wants us to be getting involved in others' needs. He wants us to have the mind of Christ that's willing to serve and suffer. Even lose our lives for the sake of others. And then lastly, number five, we need to be proclaiming the gospel and sharing the love of Christ with others. That is what the church is here for. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you to do. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we grow in these areas, we will be prepared for Christ. We will be ready on that day. I was telling Rose as we were driving in, we can get all hung up on all the different timelines and when this should happen, when that can happen. I've seen people with charts. They got it all figured out. We, that, to me, I don't want to say it's a waste of time, but what I see in Scripture, what I see Jesus mainly focusing on is be ready. Watch, pray, be about my business. My old pastor used to say, like, yeah, don't worry about the rapture. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. If you're about his business, you'll be ready for whatever happens. So that's what we need to be focusing on. Listen, people, we are headed to a marriage feast. And that's, the last message is going to be just all about the marriage feast. It's going to be, you know, a nice, light, wonderful, I promise you. It's just going to be at the feast and how good it's going to be. And God wants all of you to be there. Okay? That's what this is all about. It really is. He loves you. He loves souls so much. He's willing to say it like it is. Because he loves. He's long-suffering. He doesn't desire that any would perish. So I'm going to finish with 2 Peter 3. I'm going to finish this morning. The day of the Lord, verse 10, will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That has to get in us. That'll help us get our lives, get our sight off of the things of this world. It's temporary. Since all these things will be dissolved, what, what kind of people should we be in holy conduct, in godliness, looking for, hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat? That sounds like someone who's ready. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot, blameless. Consider the long-suffering of our Lord as salvation and also our beloved brother Paul 
according to the wisdom given to him as written to you. Also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught, unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. They water it down. They make it something that it was never intended to be. And we are living in that day more than ever. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever and ever. Amen. So I'm going to finish with an invitation. Why don't we all stand up? And this invitation is for the fool. That's it. Okay? If you know you're one of the wise, but you also know you need to do better on that list I shared, then do it. Then do it, okay? Take the list. Go home. Do business with God. If you hear what the Spirit is saying, go home. Do it. Amen. You don't need to come to an altar to do that. Get the list. If you didn't write it down, get it from somebody else and start actually doing it, okay? This is for fools, Okay? And it's going to take honesty. It's going to take honesty. I had to do this at one time in my life. And I'll just tell you, I am thankful that it says in the beginning part of that chapter that God is long-suffering, and it's the kindness of God. He's long-suffering. He really doesn't desire that any would perish. And... It, I don't know why I didn't perish in my sins. All I know is God was merciful to me. God extended grace to me when I didn't deserve it. I was a foolish virgin. I had all the outward show of what it means to be a Christian, but I was empty. I had no vessel. I had no oil. I never spent time with God. I memorized some scripture, but it was because I had to. I didn't have a burden for souls. I lived for the now. Yet I knew the truth. I knew it was true. I just had never surrendered to it. I never understood the relationship part of it. That God wanted me. He wasn't looking for some subservient creature he could just manipulate and get under his thumb. He wanted me. It was about a relationship. He wanted to betroth me, and, and he did. It's blessed to know that the grace of God is always free to us. And the grace of God is here today. It's here for anyone listening online. You know why? You're still breathing, and, and God is still calling. That's God's grace. It says, I think it's in Isaiah, I will love them freely. It's a picture of God's grace. It's an invitation to invite sinners, backsliders, to come back to God. And so... God is calling you, and God's promises, I will heal your backsliding. I will love you freely. So if God has spoken to you today, and with all honesty, you could say, I don't know if I'm one of the wise. That list doesn't describe me. I don't, I don't have that witness inside of me that the Spirit of God dwells in me. There's not something in me that cries out, Abba, Father. 
because there should be a witness of the spirit, a witness of the oil that's been poured into your vessel. So if God is speaking to you this morning, he desires that you would turn to him. He desires that you would just simply repent and acknowledge your need for him. Revelation 3, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone answers or opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him. That person that opens the door acknowledges the covering they had isn't working. They're acknowledging that inside they're still wretched, poor, miserable, naked, and blind. And they're going to the only place, the only one that can cover their shame and nakedness, that can cleanse them, and that wants to come into their heart, wants to come in and dwell with them. So if God is speaking to you and you're not sure, you've heard the gospel, but maybe you haven't heard it in a way that demands everything. God is inviting you to join your life to him. He, he wants to betroth you unto himself. So if he's speaking to you, come down to this altar. If he's speaking to you online, just get on your knees and say, Jesus, I want to accept your invitation, Lord. I've been blind. I didn't understand what it meant, Lord. I know I'm a sinner. I know I am. I know I'm still a rebel. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I don't even know what you want me to do. But Lord, I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be shut out. I don't want to hear those words, I don't know you. I don't want to be separated from you for all of eternity. So Jesus, please have mercy on me. I'm coming to you today, Lord. I want to open my heart to you. I want you to come in, Lord. I want you to cleanse my temple, my vessel, Lord. I want you to come and live your life inside of me. I want to give myself to you today, Lord. If that's you, just repent. Just ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come in and take control of your life. If you're home right now, just cry out to him. And he will come. And he will cleanse you. And he will make his abode within you. So Lord, I thank you right now for anyone that is saying yes to you, anyone, Lord, that is bowing the knee to you, Lord, I pray, God, you will cleanse them from all unrighteous. I pray, oh, Lord, you will make them your own. I pray, oh, God, you will fill them right now with your Holy Spirit, God. And I thank you today, Lord, that your voice is crying out. And I pray, oh, God, you would meet with these precious souls that are saying yes to you today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, if anyone's listening online, just take that list and just start doing it. If you don't have a church, go find a church. Go tell someone what happened. And trust God to lead you into that relationship he wants to have with you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for all here. I thank you, God, for all those that know you, Lord. Lord, I pray for all of us as we see that day approaching, Lord. We would encourage one another. We would exhort one another. We would stir up one another, Lord. We would seek you like never before, Lord. We would make ourselves ready for you. We would be about your business, Lord. God, help us. We need your help, Lord. 
It can't be just when we meet together, Lord. We need your help every moment, every hour, Lord. So, God, I pray you won't leave us alone. I pray, God, you will continue to draw us, to woo us, Lord, to have your way in this church. Don't let us be that church that loses its first love, Lord, that you have to extinguish. Lord, let us be a church, Lord, that is in love with you passionately, Lord, that is shining bright in this hour, Lord. So, God, I trust you to continue to help us in that way, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us, Lord. We bless you, Lord, and we love you, and we look forward to the day we'll be with you forever, Lord. Until then, Lord. We will make ourselves ready. We will be a bride prepared for you, Lord. And we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you, saints. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. I had a thought this morning when I was praying. Learn to encourage one another. Learn to speak to one another when you're hanging out, when you're hanging out after church, when you gather together. Encourage one another with the things we heard today. Amen? So let's do this. Do that as we leave this place. Let's remind ourselves we're the bride of Christ. Let's remind one another. Let's ask each other the questions. Are you ready? Are you preparing yourself for him? Amen? Amen.